this evening we'll try to pick up where we left off this morning in the book of Colossians chapter 1 and uh, our lesson was going to be in verse 28 we never really made it to verse 28 but I'll read verse 28 again Colossians 1 and 28 says uh, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, as I mentioned this morning, uh, Paul, writing this, inspired to the Holy Spirit, was not saying that he made anybody perfect. What he was saying is that in his teaching that the Lord had given him, that he would teach and people would see their perfection in Christ. That's what he was saying. And, and by the scriptures that we read this morning tonight, we also want to see that same thing. That we're made perfect in Christ and by Christ. And uh, say it this way, made perfect by Christ, period. Doesn't need our help. And thank the Lord that he doesn't. So, uh, and we started, we went back to verse 17, and I won't go uh, through all of that. Uh, but as we read down through these verses, uh, well, verse uh, 20 pops out. He made peace through the blood of the cross. And that peace was uh, bringing things into harmony. And we knew we fell out of harmony when Adam fell. So he made peace through the blood of his cross. And I kept asking the question over and over this morning, did he need any help? And uh, Debbie, I, uh, it was kind of uh, odd, but I had a class with Tiffany. Uh, it was kind of odd, but it was uh, communications, public speaking, something like that. And, uh, but anyway, in that class, uh, they taught you different things, and you're supposed to give maybe a little two-minute, and then three-minute, and then five-minute little speech or something, and wasn't supposed to be religion or supposed to be everything benign. And then the last one was, uh, it could be anything we wanted, and it was supposed to be a little bit controversial. You got your point across. So I titled mine, Jesus, Failure or Success. So as we look at this, as we read these things this morning, having made peace through the blood of his cross, was he successful or did he fail and I have to help him? So all the way through this morning, we kept asking these questions. And by the way, these are things we can all agree on. As I mentioned this morning, an atheist, I suppose, wouldn't. And the Jewish community would not. But as we look at Christ, and uh, made perfect through Christ, we should be able to agree on that. And as I said this morning, there's, it's a big book. Uh, we may wonder, okay, who's going to be the bride? And we may debate that. Who's going to be uh, in uh, the New Jerusalem? Who's going to be in hell? Who's going to be in the lake of fire? And we can talk about all those things. But the, the, and certainly it's good to study those things. It's where growth comes from. But far as made perfect in Christ... We can be in agreement on that. It's what the whole Bible is talking about. So, uh, 
made peace through the blood of his cross. And uh, so many, oh, well, verse 22, let me just mention that. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That's what he did through his death. And I'll just uh, ask, did he fail or did he success? Or did he succeed, I guess I should say. And i uh, got a teacher back here. i got to watch my English tonight and everything, which is terrible. <laughs> uh, make no bones about that. But anyway, uh, so did he present us, or will he present us, holy without blame? Unreprovable. And then we went to Ephesians 1.4. Yes, he did it. He chose, God chose, or God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that would be holy without blame before him in love. So yes, he succeeded without my help, without your help. Uh, so then we left off and uh, verse 26, I think I maybe read it, but we didn't go into verse 26. I'll read 25 and 26 together. Uh, of which I am made a, well, see, you know what, I, uh, I probably should mention, now, uh, let's go on so it won't get too long tonight. Okay, uh, so 25, of which I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me, to you, to fulfill the word of God. So Paul was made a minister by God, a minister of this reconciliation, a minister of this making peace through the death of his cross. He's made a minister of that. And by the way, so are you. And so am I. That minister doesn't have to be from this pulpit. I hope you're, uh, you're aware of that. You're a minister as you, and it might not be frequent, but the Lord brings people to your, in, in your path. You're a minister. A minister of reconciliation that he reconciled. A minister that he made peace for us through the death on the cross. That's what, our, that's what you minister. We read this morning about having preeminence. You're also a minister that he has all the preeminence. We don't, we don't take credit or honor and glory for any of that. Okay, so he's made a minister of that. In verse 26, even the mystery which hath been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. And this is where we left off. Paul was made a minister of this mystery. And this mystery been hidden from the ages. Been hidden from generations, this mystery. And now, made manifest to his saints. And I'll put something else to his New Testament saints. Because it wasn't made manifest to the Old Testament saints. It wasn't made manifest hidden mystery. But Paul yet was made a minister of this mystery, this hidden mystery. Uh, might hold your place here, and I'm going to go to Romans 
uh, real quickly. Romans uh, uh, chapter 16, just a, another word on the mystery here. Romans 16 and 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. So as you go back to the, the, the beginning, if you want to, this mystery was kept secret. It was there. And it might, well, it might say it was hidden and wide open, but it, but it was kept a mystery. And the age that you live in, the age that we lived in, it's revealed. Not to all, but it's revealed. But it's hidden to some. And, and let's go to Matthew chapter 13, uh, which we uh, do uh, frequently. Matthew chapter 13. We'll see there, even in this age, uh, it's hidden. Uh, Matthew 13, and this is where uh, the Lord, of course, was speaking in parables. And his disciples didn't understand why he was speaking parables. So they asked him the question, Lord, why do you speak in parables? And in verse 11, he answered and said to them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries. Mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So, Helen, we're not going to uh, open this mystery up ourselves. Either it's given or it's not. As we look at this mystery, and it certainly has been revealed to this body... That means what? It's given. That means how grateful we should be because it wasn't given to everyone. I'm not saying and don't imply that this is the only true church. It's not. But yet grateful because we see he hasn't revealed it to everyone. Uh, so in verse uh, 11 there, he says... Uh, he answered and said unto them, Because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. And then he goes down through here and talks about, well, let me just read it. Uh, verse 12, For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that which he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not. Neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. I remember a time that I could see with my physical eyes and hear with my physical ears, but in the scriptures, David, I couldn't see that mystery. <laughs> I could not see that mystery. I was studying, and a couple of years before the Lord brought me back as an adult, and I was studying and studying a lot. And I thought, well, I'll go to Genesis 1-1, start there. And boy, whenever I got into the law of Moses and everything, you talk about blind. I could not see. I could not hear. But 
as he opens our eyes and our ears and begins to reveal to us this mystery. It's there. It, the signs are all there, but it was hidden. It was in a mystery. Uh, 15, for this people's heart has become gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. So basically what he's saying, to you it's given to understand and to hear about this mystery. But to them, I don't want them to see. I don't want them to hear. I don't want them to understand. I don't want them to be converted. And I know that's a hard saying, as some might say. But that's not, I always try to tell you when something is my opinion. This is not my opinion. This is scripture. But then, so, and I know people want to enter in judgment with God. Well, that's not fair. That's one way of looking at it. Is it the correct way? No. How should we look at it? Look at verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. How grateful we should be to whatever level he has opened our eyes and our ears, that we can see, peek into this mystery, this hidden, we already read from the, from the, from the world as the world began. And then verse 17, and again, this should make you feel so grateful. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. Although undeserving we are, how grateful we should be as he begins to open this mystery. It's, it's been a mystery from the beginning of the world. But in these last times to his saints, to his New Testament saints, he's begun to some that may be given this eyes and ears to see and hear. How grateful should we be? Many prophets, uh, righteous men and prophets, had desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, and hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. How grateful should you be that he's given you these eyes and these ears to, to peek into this mystery that's been hidden from the beginning and still hidden to many. So, uh, mystery. Uh, again, Rhonda, as I begin to get into the, the law of Moses and things, I couldn't see. I couldn't hear. It was a, I did not see the mystery in it. But... So what's the mystery? And I think one of the last things that was revealed to me was the mixed garments. Under the law of Moses, they were not allowed to wear any mixed garments. It had to be one material. It couldn't be a blend of this and this. It had to be one material. And I knew what it didn't mean, but I didn't know what it meant for years. And I used that for example, uh, that... Uh, Okay, law of Moses means, uh, in the law of Moses, you can't wear mixed garments. How many breaks that law? Well, we all do most of the time. Our garments are, are blended. We have a certain percentage of this and a certain percentage of that. I knew what it didn't mean. I knew it didn't mean that. And, and isn't, that, isn't that part of our, can't you see that as part of your growth? 
sometimes we'll go to Scripture and, and we'll have our Wednesday night Bible study and we may have questions and things. I don't know what this means. That, you know, that's knowledge. You say it's knowledge is to admit you don't know something? Yeah, I believe it is. Because you know it doesn't mean this. That's knowledge. Before, didn't have eyes or ears. I didn't know. I thought it just meant that. So mixed garments. Not to wear them. Not to have mixed material. And again, I, I, I used that example for years and years because I knew what it didn't mean. I knew it didn't mean what kind of clothes we're wearing. I knew it didn't mean that. But I didn't know what it meant. And then Bill just one day... Uh, it was so simple. What is a garment? And I've shared it with you many, many times. A garment is our covering. What is our covering? The blood of Jesus Christ. Now, what about if we mix that covering? A little bit of Jesus Christ and a little bit of me praying through. A little bit of me doing the best I can do. A little bit of me turning over a new leaf. We're not to wear, we're not to wear a mixed covering. So that's mist. See, that's part of the mystery. It was there, it was there all along. But it was a hidden mystery. But it's revealed now in his New Testament times to his saints that he gives it to. Even the mystery of the Sabbath. You know how well they had different Sabbaths, of course, but primarily we look at the seventh day Sabbath. They had it back there. After they come out of Egypt and, and everything, he gave them the laws and, and they had the Sabbath and everything. And they were not to devour it. That Sabbath today would be on Saturday and not Sunday if it was uh, a, a day. But so does that mean it says don't defile the Sabbath? And it means what it says. But what's it saying? You can't do any work on Saturday. How many, how many defiles that? Actually, it's getting easier on me not to do much work on Saturday, so I'm getting, maybe I'm getting better. But it's getting easier for me. But anyway, uh, but is that what it means? What's the mystery in the Sabbath? Hebrew 4 tells us we won't go there. Sabbath is rest. It tells us that Jesus Christ is our rest. He paid the, he paid. The price for my salvation on Calvary's cross, it's paid in full. I don't have to labor. I don't have to help him. Paid in full. That's my rest. That's the mystery in the Sabbath. It's Jesus Christ. It always Jesus Christ. Uh, all the blood sacrifices that they offered. Uh, I shared, I'll share it again. An individual used to work for me many years ago. And uh, I, I told him, I said, you know, the blood of all those bulls and goats and lambs, it didn't take away one sin. And he said, he said well, that was a big waste. I never thought of it that way. Uh, but it didn't. What was the mystery in all those blood sacrifices? What was the mystery? It all pointed to Jesus Christ. He's our blood sacrifice. In fact, that's how he paid for the, uh, uh, our peace was paid by his death on the cross. So, all this is a mystery. We could go to the atonement money. He told them when they got, the, I think it was 20 years and older, they were to give a half shekel of gold or silver, as a, and it says, as atonement for your souls. So what, do we buy our salvation? What, 
That's what it said. They were to give atonement money as a ransom for their soul. That's what it said. But what was hidden in that? Let me just read in Peter, First uh, Peter uh, chapter 1, I believe it is. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 18, very familiar to you. For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. What are they, the, the ones that, that, these Jews at this time, what did they receive from their fathers? Oh, the law of Moses. And part of that was, you give a half shekel of silver as atonement for your souls. But here it says, you weren't actually redeemed that way. You weren't atoned that way. But that's what God told them, didn't he? But what was hidden there? Well, verse 20, well, verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world was manifest in these last times for you. So that atonement, see, whenever they, they took that atonement money and they put it for use in the tabernacle. So whenever that tabernacle, whenever they saw those uh, uh, silver boards of silver and sockets of silver and gold and everything, they saw atonement. That's, my, that's where my atonement, my atonement money went there. But what was hidden? All that was pointing to our Redeemer who atoned us, Jesus Christ. It was always there, but it was a hidden mystery. So now verse 27 in our text. I'm going to read 26 again because that's so valuable to me. Even the mystery which had been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. How grateful we should be that he's made that manifest unto us. And in verse 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory, or all the glory. Uh, let, me, let me start again. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So it says, uh, would make known the riches of the glory of this mystery. I'd read over that many times. Riches of his glory. So, and I love going to the Greek and Hebrew words on this and, and, and getting the, uh, uh, the definition from the Greek and the Hebrew. It's, very, it's pretty precise and very interesting. But, riches of the glory of this mystery. Okay, the word riches. I, I, again, I break it down. So the, word, the word riches. Oh, it can mean money. But what it means, valuable. Value. So what's the value in this glory? What's the value? That's what it is. We want to see the value. And I, I come up with poor examples. And you'll have to pass this on to Riley. She says, what's he going to do with this can of pineapple? So anyway, so what's the riches here? What's the value? Where's the value? It's... Uh, 
It's not in this paper on the outside. Not in this tin can. What's the riches of this? Where's the pineapple inside? So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the riches. We're looking for the value in this glory of this mystery. That's what we're looking for in this verse. The value, the valuable, the value of this glory of this mystery. So I hope we can understand a little bit about the riches or the value. We're looking for that value in this glory. Well, what's the glory? Glory means dignity or honor. So we know the mystery is, of course, Jesus Christ. What is the value of his dignity? Or the way it says, the riches of his glory. For me to help understand that, what's the value of his dignity? What's the value of his armor? Honor, honor. Is there a value to it? Is there a value to his dignity? Is there a value to his honor? Is there a value to his glory? How valuable is it to you? So what is the riches? What is the value of his dignity? What is the value of his glory? What is the value of his honor? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So that's what we're looking for. The va- what's the value in his honor? What's the value in his uh, dignity? Uh, what did I say? 2 Corinthians. I was going the wrong way. 2 Corinthians. So his dignity, his honor. So the dignity and honor of Jesus Christ. What's the value? What's the riches there? 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For he hath made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So, his dignity, his honor, he was without sin. We're all descendants of Adam. But he was without sin. It, his glory, his dignity, his honor, what's the value in that? Well, it says that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I hope you consider that valuable. That's the riches in his glory. That's the value in his dignity. The value is he is that blood sacrifice. He's the only thing that could redeem you. That's, that's the value. That's, it says, made, uh, let me read it again. For he hath made him who knew no sin. There's his dignity. Knew no sin. To be sin for us. He took my sins. He took your sins. That we might be made what? The righteousness of God in him. There's no other way. So the riches of his glory and that mystery is the value. The value in his 
dignity, the value in his honor, the value of him having no sin. That's the value. Otherwise, there's no way for us. But that's where our righteousness comes from. Uh, I won't go there, but we read in the scriptures where uh, uh, Jesus, and he was born of a virgin. And then you can debate, is that young maiden virgin? And, and I think we have the answer to that debate that we may read. But, born of a virgin. Well, what's that mean? It means he didn't have an earthly father. If he had an earthly father, it would come from where? From Adam, who fell. From where death and sin came from. We read that this morning in, in Romans 5 and 12. So, that's his dignity. He was born without sin. He remained without sin. There's only one way we can put sin on him. When he took that cup, went to the cross. If we want to look at it that way. He took my sins and he took your sins. But I hope you can see the value uh, in his dignity. Uh, and let's go, let's go to Isaiah 53. Or as Austin used to say, let's go to the gospel. One of the gospels in the Old Testament. And most of the Bibles would just fly open to Isaiah 53. So we're going to see his dignity here. We're going to see his honor. We're going to see that he was without sin. But because of this, we're going to see what it did for you and I. We're going to see the value in it. So uh, not sure how far I'll read here. Let's just start in verse 1, Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him like a tender plant, like a root out of dry ground. There's your virgin birth. He had no form nor kindness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So it's talking about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And again, that's the start of his dignity, his honor, his glory, without sin. And a great value to that. So, uh, uh, Verse 3, he is despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him, uh, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did see him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. See, if he was a descendant of Adam, it wouldn't do any good. But because of his dignity, because of his honor, because of his glory, there is a great value in that. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. That's that peace that we harmonize. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. In the past, have you ever turned to your own way? Well, if I'm good enough, that's your own way. And I, I'll just share it with you again. I know I have hundreds of times. A very educated man on television. He says, I hope when I dip the dip net down in the sea of men, I'll be good enough to be a keeper. You know what? He's going his own way, trusting in his own self. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and sheep before shears is done, so he opened not his mouth. He could have called 10,000 angels. He didn't have to go to the cross. He was taken from prison, from judgment. Who shall declare a generation? For he was cut off out of the land of living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had, he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his offering, or when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, verse 11 is the value that we see in his glory. He shall see the travail of his soul. This is God the judge, God the Father, God the judge. He's going to see the travail of the soul of Jesus Christ on the cross as he sheds his blood. It says, and shall be satisfied. So do I have to add something to that? And the answer is no. He alone. So he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He bears our iniquities. He took them to the cross. So by his, the riches, the value of his dignity of being without sin, that's the value. We are made righteous. Uh, he has borne our iniquities on the cross. And we don't have to help him. He's done it. Uh, so I'm justified. Uh, we won't go there. Uh, we see it a couple of places, but in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, John points out, he says, The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. We know it's a particular world, but we won't go into that tonight. But the Lamb of God. What value is in this? What's the value in this glory? What's the value of the riches of this Lamb, John said, there's the Lamb of God. What's the value in that? Well, again, we can look at the Passover Lamb. What was the value in the Passover Lamb? You know, they, they took it, they put the Lamb up, and they observed it to make sure it couldn't have any spot or blemish. Neither could Jesus Christ. He couldn't have sin, or he wouldn't be acceptable. And then they took the blood and they put it on the lintel on the two side post. And God says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over. That's the value. But now that blood, what's the value in there? Well, none. It says, he told them, he says, that blood shall be a token unto you. A token is something of not really any value. It represents something of value, but the token has no value. So the blood of that land that they put up there, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of them that night, it didn't pay for one sin. It was a token. And, and there we go back to our mystery, isn't it? That's the mystery wasn't revealed. Without blemish, blemish and without spot. And let me, we went to Romans 5 this morning. I want to go back there again. We read verse 12. I want to read verse 19, Romans 5. And 
And uh, I'll read verse 12 again. Looking at the riches of his glory, the value of his dignity, the value of him not having any sin, not being descendant of Adam. What's the value? Uh, Romans 5 and 12 we read this morning. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for all sin. Every descendant of Adam is a sinner. We have sin. Even a little baby. So, there's, there's mankind. We fail in Adam. So what about the riches of his glory? What about the value in his dignity? Because see, he wasn't descended of Adam. So he has dignity, he has honor, he didn't have any sin. What about the value in that? Well, verse 19 tells us the value or the riches in his dignity. <clears throat> For as by one man's disobedience, in verse 19, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. How are you made righteous? By your obedience? Not what it said. And this is not my opinion. This is not one of those strange versions of the Bible. Uh, I won't go into that story. But anyway, uh, by the obedience of one, that's how we're made righteous. That's that one. That's Jesus Christ. That's the riches of his glory. That's the value in his dignity and his honor. That's the value in that. Uh, so then that brings us to our, uh, our text in Colossians 1 and 28. I'll read uh, 27 with it. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. And, and I hope you, we peeked into that tonight. You see the value of his dignity. Uh, among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, well, preach Christ, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that, ye may present, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So that's what Paul is saying in his, the words that he had been given that you would see you're made perfect in Christ Jesus. It's been a mystery through from all the way back. It's a mystery. Go all the way back. I think it's the first representation when God took a, 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 a wife for Adam from his side. Bloodshed. David, that's part of the mystery all the way back there. Used to, I thought the first place was when he killed an animal to make coverings for them. I thought that was the first place of bloodshed and the first uh, uh, mystery, but it wasn't when he took the wife. And where does the bride of Jesus Christ come from? Look at him on the cross from his shed blood. So we see the mystery all the way, all the way back there. So anyway, this says... Uh, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So by his teaching, you'll see you're made perfect by Christ. Not by you. Not by Christ plus. Again, we mentioned this morning, I'll mention again tonight. He says, I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. There are other things to study. 
And certainly we want to continue to do that. There's nothing new. We'll find the, the same thing in new places. But there's nothing new. But we want to see our perfection in Christ. And no one else. He has the preeminence. So let's go. Uh, I mentioned more about partnerships. He doesn't need to partner with somebody to make something come to pass. Doesn't need our help. Hebrew chapter 7. And Bill, I was going to request this song tonight, and I forgot about it. I know Carlos picks it sometimes. Uh, Hebrew chapter 7. One of my favorite verses. I don't have a favorite verse, but certainly one of them. Uh, you say, what's your favorite verse? Well, I think the one that I'm studying at that time or the ones revealed to me at that time. But certainly, Hebrews 7.25, talking about Jesus Christ. And it says, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost. And if you study that word uttermost in the Greek, it means no other means possible. We've got a couple firemen here tonight and everything. We could do a lot of things to make this building more safe. We've got a, uh, a fire pull station over here, probably a dead battery somewhere that's supposed to ring that bell back there. We've got some fire extinguishers, makes it a little safe. I believe all the carpet and seats had to be made of a fire retardant uh, material. I don't know if it's wood, probably supposed to have been uh, fire retardant treated. I know they can do that. So there's a certain level of, uh, of uh, safety here, a certain level uh, that is safe, but not to the uttermost. There's more things we could do. We could put in a sprinkler system. Uh, we could take all the wood off and everything and just make it all metal or something where it couldn't burn. Uh, so when we've done every last thing there was possible, we could say, well, you know, guys, there's nothing else you can add. It's as safe as it can be. That's what that word uttermost means. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost. No other means possible. And Marie, I, I know you remember Brother Austin standing out there, this pulpit out of Arabia. He said, I'm as sure as being in heaven whenever I die as if I was already there. True? Can't we say that? He saved me to the uttermost. I can't be any safer. I won't be any safer when I get in glory than I am right now. Well, you don't know what you'll do. No, but I know what Christ has done. He has saved me to the uttermost. And it's not a partnership. He said, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost. Think about that. Can't be any safer. Can't be any safer. Uh, verse 18 here in the same chapter. For there is verily an annulling of the commandments going before for the weakness and profitableness of this. What's this talking about? The law of Moses, the letter of the law of Moses. Said it was annulled before it was ever given. Well, what's that mean? Verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing of better hope did by which we draw near 
unto God. So the better hope was Jesus Christ. So we had the law. Well, we didn't start with the law. We start with Christ who is eternal. Mystery. Start there. Now we have the law. But as I told this individual I worked with a long time ago, the law was never the way. Jesus Christ is the way. He said, well, hey, you know, God won't change his mind again. He never changed it to begin with. It, it was never the law or before the law. The law was a short period of time. But it was never the law of Moses. It was never our righteousness. It was all in a mystery. But it was never that way. So when the law came, as far as looking at the letter of the law, it was disannulled before it was ever given. That's what it says. For there is verily an annulling or disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness of it. For the law made nothing perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did, by which we draw near unto God. How do we draw near unto God? Our righteousness? No. By the better hope, Jesus Christ. We're about out of time. Uh, but he made us perfect. He made us complete. And our lesson said, and that's what Paul's teaching, it's what he's saying that is teaching. He says, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So I hope you see that the only way of perfection is in Christ Jesus, saved to the uttermost. So I, I pray that the word that he's given us as you look at this, that you'll see, yeah, the only way I, I've been, is, the only way of perfection is through Christ Jesus. I've heard people say, well, I think if you just do the best you can, show me chapter and verse on that, and you'll not find it. God will not accept the best that you can do. He will only accept perfection. Uh, Another scripture in Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I'll ask you that question. Jesus Christ is our great salvation. How are you going to escape? What other way is there? If you neglect Jesus Christ, tell me. Tell me another way to escape. And there's not any. How shall we uh, escape if we neglect so great a salvation? There's no other way. There is no escape. It's all through Jesus Christ. But made perfect in him. I had so many more scriptures I wanted to bring to, uh, with you. But I saw a, just a part of a poem, and I don't know who wrote it, just a couple sentences I thought was, was pretty good. It may sound boastful at first, but I don't believe it is at all. It says, with my Savior's garments on... I am holy as the Holy One. It might sound kind of boastful, but it's like the song, It's Well My Soul. When the first time I heard that, I thought, well, that's boastful. And it is, but it's boastful in what? In Jesus Christ, he took my sins, not in part, but the whole, and nailed them to the cross. So same with this, with his garments on. Not my mixed garments, not your mixed garments, but with his garments on, says, I am holy as the Holy One. I was going to read in 8th chapter Romans. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Shall God that gave his son? Christ is not going to lay a charge. He paid for your sin. So I hope we can see by the study of the scripture, not by my opinion, that you may be made perfect in Christ, period. 
May the Lord bless the speaking of his word. We're dismissed.